Solana on Ethereum? That is the question we explore on today's episode with a new product release as well. And this is an opportunity to pick into a topic we haven't yet touched on on Ethereum, which is a virtual machine that Solana has called the SVM. That's the Solana Virtual Machine. So proponents have said for a long time that it's much better than the Ethereum EVM. as multi-threaded execution, lots of bells and whistles that Ethereum doesn't have. And now on today's episode, we're finding out that it is coming to Ethereum in the form of a layer two. The Eclipse mainnet is what it's called. That is the layer two that is launching today with the SVM embedded. And Eclipse is not only a new layer two on the scene, but it's an entire framework, kind of similar to the Optimism Superchain uh, network as well. So this poses a lot of interesting questions, as you might imagine, that we are going to dig into today, including who wins? Is this a is this a W for Ethereum? Is this an L for Solana? Or maybe the reverse? Uh, what does this mean for the future of our industry? A lot to unpack on today's episode. I would even say that a lot of Ethereum people will say that, yeah, the SVM is a fantastic piece of technology, and it is better than the EVM especially when it comes to the things that virtual machines do, which is execution. There are some massive questions that this brings to the table, and I'm about to ask them. But first, I want to talk about our friends and sponsors over at Layer Zero, who have a brand new announcement on the scene. This came out of Permissionless. Uh, Google Cloud and Layer Zero are partnering together to help thread together 15 different chains across the Web3 ecosystem. Uh, so what does Layer Zero do? It passes message, uh, messages across from chain to chain. What does Google Cloud do? Well, it is the service provider, the Oracle, that does those message that, that message passing. It is the default Oracle for Layer Zero. Uh, but if you don't want Google, you are free to also uh, pick your own Oracle. Uh, you could do a def you could just like Google um, how Google is the default search browser for many browsers. Uh, Google is the default uh, Oracle for Layer Zero. There's a link in the show notes if you want to find out more. Layer Zero dot network, uh, and there uh, and so that is a call to action. There, there's a link in the show notes. Um, there, are, there are some big questions on today's episode, and so we have the uh, the founder of the Eclipse Layer Two. His name is Neil Samani, uh, and he's going to be jumping on the podcast in a, in a minute here. But David, we're going to be unpacking four different protocols. All right, so it's not just Ethereum and Solana. There are a few others as well that are woven into this uh, Layer Two. So, what what are listeners in for? What are the big questions to prepare us? Yeah, the question doesn't stop at, is this Ethereum versus Solana, Ethereum or Solana? Celestia and Risk Zero are also relevant here. And I think one of the questions is like, uh, the big question, if we are investors in this space trying to invest in the future, we want to ask the question, who wins? What are, what are these components doing together? Uh, and does some of these components win more than others? What does it mean to win? And, or am I just using this lens of winning versus losing because that's my lens for all blockchain systems? And, and is that even the right lens? So the, the first question I think we're going get, to get at is, does the Solana VM as an Ethereum layer two, is that a bigger win for Ether than it is for Sol? The Solana fanboys in my mentions are convinced that this is the Ethereum protocol moving closer to Solana. But the layer two centric take is that all good execution tech will eventually settle on Ethereum liquidity and security. But then what the hell does Celestia have to do with this equation? And what's Risk Zero doing there? Uh, so this is not just a question about like the tug of war between these two cooperating competi uh, competing protocols, but what does this mean for the modular thesis at large? Uh, so some very big questions. And I think uh, I listened to Neil Samani over at the uh, Modular Summit back in ECC and some of, some of his talks around the space. And I think he's got some of the answers. So we're going to ask all of these questions to Neil here in a second. <laughs> but first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for crypto in 2023. If you've not had an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to hear them, uh, to check them out right now. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. 
Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRails. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1 with flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now, Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Layer 3, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you are a developer, enterprise, or user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. So visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app with Arbitrum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Bankless Nation, I would love to introduce you to Neil Samani, the founder of Eclipse, a project working to bring the Solana virtual machine, the SVM, to Ethereum. Today, Eclipse has announced their SVM mainnet, the first Eclipse layer two on Ethereum that uses the SVM as its execution engine, but Ethereum for settlement and liquidity. Is that is that a curveball? Well, it doesn't stop there because Eclipse is also using Celestia for data availability and risk zero for fraud proofs. So Solana's execution environment Settling on Ethereum with ETH as its gas, using Cel uh, Celestia for data availability, and then security offered by Risk Zero fraud proofs. My first big question to you, <laughs> Neil, is what the hell is that? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh, who even allowed you to put what did all you these create? What did you create? What is this? I love this image. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, when for I the was first listeners out there, this first. is the uh, what the hell is this family guy meme for the for the people listening on the podcast. It's like Noah on the ark and there's some kind of hybrid animal like a giraffe, elephant, yeah. like well, I don't know what that tail that is, but some kind of hybrid animal that's been created, like the platypus. Yeah. Uh-huh. That is awesome. Uh, David Ryan, thank you for having me. Yeah, so Neil, let's let's uh, where did this idea to uh, put four different networks together come about and maybe talk about some of the motivations here. So the original idea was just to put Solana on Ethereum. And that was the motivation behind Eclipse. And what we ran into was just a ton of constraints and things that you'd expect to be true for a virtual machine, because that's how it is in the Ethereum world. So an example is like chain ID. When you switch your MetaMask wallet to another Ethereum chain or another EVM chain, then they actually have like a well-defined mechanism for doing that. Another example is there's no global Merkle tree for Solana. So the lack of these primitives means that that initial idea was not so easy to implement. So we basically implement, we had to add in Celestia, Risk Zero out of necessity in order to make this possible. Wait, so you had to add Celestia in, in Risk Zero? Like it wasn't an option to just do a layer two? Just pure Ethereum. I think, so it depends on the amount of transaction volume that we end up running. But mm -hmm. at our projected amount of transactions, uh, Ethereum DA would just prove to be very expensive. And ah. it would also lack a lot of the benefits of, of the Solana VM, which is that you're going for scale, meaning that you want the transactions to be really cheap. So right now it's like the base cost for writing 200 bytes to Ethereum is about 15 cents. So that would, that would be a, like much more expensive transactions. And that opens us up to a dunk from the Solana community, which is like, oh, we're much cheaper than you. By doing it this way, then we can actually be competitive on price too. I, I want to get back to, to why Solana, because that's the, the big question, why the SVM, right? But before we do, just really quick, um, yes, data availability is very expensive in today's world. However, there is some hope. We just did release an episode uh, earlier this week with um, with Dom from ETH Research on um, Blob Space and EIP 4844, where the cost 
of uh, data availability for rollups is going to drop uh, quite significantly. Or maybe uh, let me just say, rephrase that and say the availability of data availability is going to be uh, increased massively through the, in the form of these blobs. Does that change the calculus at all for you? Or is it kind of the same? It's still more expensive than something like Celestia. It definitely changes the calculus. Yeah, given that it's a fee market, we have to see where that fee ends up landing. So I want it to be live, but yeah, there's great research going on in the Ethereum community for scaling DA. We're watching it closely and we have ambitions to eventually just be fully on Ethereum uh, and just use that for DA as well. Okay, well, let's talk about the the big thing here. So the Solana virtual machine, the SVM, we've not done an episode comparing the SVM versus the EVM. Um, we've been thinking about doing one. This maybe gives us a, a little taste of that. Can you tell us what is what is so great about the SVM? Why do people, um, some people, you know, sing its praises and seem to prefer it for certain things? The way to think about it is uh, by starting with the EVM and just understanding the failures of the EVM so far in scaling Ethereum. And I, I think that if you ask a lot of the researchers in the Ethereum community, scale is pretty much the biggest issue. But and it feels kind of redundant for me to be saying that because everyone's talking about it. Yet the way that they've tried to bring scale to Ethereum is just by taking the EVM and uh, and, and turning it into a rollup effectively. But what's nice about a rollup is that once you've decoupled execution, consensus, settlement, and DA, is that you can make that execution layer whatever you want. So the issue with the EVM is that it's single-threaded as it exists right now, meaning that all the transactions get in a single file line, they're executed one at a time. And that means that if there's a big NFT drop, for example, then that's going to really spam the network. And there's no way to get your DeFi transaction in unless you're competing with all those other transactions that are in line. But what's nice about a parallelized virtual machine is that you can execute those transactions concurrently, given that they're not touching the same piece of state. So that's what the Solana virtual machine primarily brings. Uh, and it's the most battle-tested VM in the sense that Solana has been around, uh, as opposed to Move or some other parallelized virtual machines, which are much newer. Uh, and that means that you also get the benefits of the existing Solana code base, any existing libraries that are written for the SVM, and we can take all of those and immediately port it to Eclipse. So th that's the, the main reason to use the SVM, which is just scale. And scale is an inherently maximalist take for a rollup to claim, because we're basically saying that if you have one SVM, you don't need all these other single-threaded VMs around it. Yeah, so one of the um, reasonings I've heard around the EVM is that while the EVM does execute, because that's what virtual machines do, it was not built for execution. It was built for the Ethereum layer one, uh, and that has prioritized other properties. Uh, and while the EVM has had a ton of just network effects, the open source network effects around the EVM are super, super strong. I think in this day and age, in the year 2023, uh, one of the things we're seeing is that the network effects around the SVM are growing sufficient tailwinds that, Neil, I think what you're saying is that, well, I can feel safe that there is sufficient momentum in the network effects of the SVM code base that is going to be a an alive code base moving forward into the future. And so it is going to be the execution virtual machine that we can deploy to Ethereum because if we have a roll-up centric roadmap, we aren't beholden to the EVM on layer twos. Is it this is my interpretation? Is this about right? Yeah, that's right. And what's cool is that it, it actually goes beyond just the existence of the SVM per se. It's a bit of a misnomer because the SVM is actually the Berkey, Berkeley packet filter virtual machine. And that's been in the Linux kernel for like decades. So this is a very old virtual machine and it has Rust support. Rust can compile to the bytecode. And there's a few surrounding extensions that are pretty battle tested as well. So, so we're, we're taking all this existing wealth of open source code uh, and just repurposing it as an Ethereum L2. How much better is it, Neil? Like, how it's, can you quantify I would that? argue it's like orders of magnitude, like a hundred, a hundred times or some, something, some ridiculous magnitude or faster. Yeah. Okay. So like if, if we take a, a roll up with the exact same stack you're talking about, but, um, rather than the SVM, we have the EVM versus what you're doing with the SVM. How much better is yours? You're saying an order of magnitude, like 10 uh, I'd argue like, yeah, it's, it's always tough to talk about throughput because the reality is it depends on what are the state access patterns. Like if everything, let's say every transaction, the SVM was accessing the same piece of state that then you actually can't beat sequential because that that's just like a, the fact about databases, right? You'd have to impose if it was sequential rights, let's say. So then you have to lock the you have to lock that piece of state to execute the transaction, then do the next one, then do the next one. So you're, you're not saving anything in the sequential case. But assuming they're all touching different pieces of state, which if the crypto thesis is right, we're going to have all kinds of applications doing all sorts of different things. And that's effectively what these EVM rollups are mimicking. If you look at OP stack, the reason why people are deploying these, a lot of times they cite dedicated block space. 
But that's exactly what the SVM already solves for. So our thinking is why fragment liquidity, fragment the user experience, make them switch networks. It, it's looking like a mess already, but uh, you can you can prevent all that by just keeping it all in the same chain. Okay, so one of the, I guess the bull case for the EVM is basically, I, I don't think anyone really prefers it for its uh, execution prowess and capabilities. They all prefer it because of the network effect. It's because we yeah. started with the EVM, a whole bunch of apps were built, and now we could just very easily port those apps to uh, rollups. So that's kind of why. And I guess with SVM, it is, you're, you're making the case that it is much uh, you know, like better for just kind of the execution layer type thing, and you're still taking advantage of some of the network effect that, that Solana has, has built as well. I, I want to ask a question here because I'm not sure I, I fully understand this, but about like kind of different fee markets and, and resourcing. Um, how, do, how does that work? So is it the case inside of your rollup that if there is a big NFT drop or some sort of app that is consuming a, uh, a large quantity of the block space inside of uh, Eclipse, um, is that somehow isolated or segmented, or is there some kind of um, bifurcation of resources between another layer? Lo localized fee market is the... yeah. This is this is a term that I, I've not fully understood, but I know um, our friends uh, on the Solana side really purport this as one of a um, main virtue of actually uh, Solana is like these localized fee markets. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's critical, and if you've looked at Arbitrum lately fees still spike substantially on rollups uh, if they're single-threaded. And that's because of that exact reason that you're mentioning, the global fee market. If GMX gets a bunch of activity, then everyone suffers as a result. But economically, that's not actually really the way that it should be because there's this negative externality to GMX being imposed on all of the other apps. But really, it should be constrained to that one app. So it's as if you took all these global fees and you just concentrated it on the one app that's actually causing on the on the hotspot or a state hotspot, uh, as, as some of the folks on the Solana side will describe it as. Uh, and you just uh, everyone else can just keep like merrily, happily uh, walking along and they can execute on other cores. So it's, it's really a property of the scheduler within the validator, because in every validator, they have to somehow decide what order am I going to tr process transactions? And they're saying everything that's accessing this piece of state is going to all go on a single core and everyone else can use the other cores and, and there's no contention on those. So Neil, this is really just a statement. Uh, uh, the design philosophy of Eclipse is just a statement that it's a bullish statement on the growth of the SVM network effects. So maybe in this day and age, if you are like Optimism or Arbitrum, you're going for this thing called Ethereum equivalence. Just then they are making a, a statement that, hey, we are bullish on the growth of the EVM network effects. And the, I mean, network effects of different uh, virtual machines can grow independently. It's not an either or. But what your you, the philosophy of Eclipse is saying, like, hey, there's the SVM network effects are going to grow. They're going to grow a lot. Uh, we want to take that and couple it into whatever the value is of being a part of the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, that, that's my like synopsis, synopsis of this. Yeah, I'd even argue that EVM network effects have proven to be not so important. And I think it made a lot of sense initially a few years ago when you had Polygon and BSC launching. But if you look at the types of apps that were deployed there, you get like SushiSwap, which is effectively a, a fork of Uniswap. And now I recognize they've deployed even to like Ethereum. But those are the types of apps you often get. And it's rare that those apps are actually net new. Whereas by bringing the SVM to Ethereum, I think we're actually going to see net new applications in the Ethereum ecosystem, just given that there's a lot of apps that just couldn't exist without parallelism. Central limit order books being a great example. We've seen a lot of decentralized physical infrastructure networks on Solana, so we can bring those to Ethereum as well. Uh, apps like that, I think, uh, are, are going to be more interesting to me rather than porting apps that already exist. Certainly. Okay. So that was the execution environment of the Eclipse project. And remember, when we live in the modular world, that is, there are different modules. So there's a few others that we're going to go to. I want to go to the Ethereum module next. Um, Ethereum is directly enshrined in the Eclipse tech stack. Uh, the Ethereum bridge enforces the correct ordering for Eclipse transactions. Can you talk about the significance of this? Like, what what is Ethereum providing to Eclipse? What is the what is the Ethereum module doing here? Yeah, so what this means concretely is that an Eclipse full node includes an Ethereum full node. So an Eclipse full node is also watching Ethereum, it's looking at that bridge, and that bridge has significance in how the protocol operates. Meaning if the bridge gets rolled back, the bridge gets reordered, this all influences the Eclipse full node, and it will also get reordered or will also get rolled back. So that's, that's what it means. And there's a second more subtle aspect, which is that we use Ethereum for gas, or we use Ether for gas. And that's an important fact because that increases the moneyness of ETH. 
And we could have, we had the option to deploy our own token and use that for gas instead. But we recognize that everyone in the Ethereum ecosystem already uses ETH and there's a ton of it. And people are looking for things to do with that. So we wanted to keep that intact and, and use it for gas for our chain too. So how similar is, th th this is what makes um, Eclipse a layer two. How similar is it to other layer twos that that we know today versus kind of different? So one, one categorization, is it uh, an optimistic uh, layer two or is it sort of a, a ZK layer two? That might be one way to look at it, but there are probably others. Um, can you classify it with respect to the existing players that people know about? What's weird is because this Solana VM settlement is so different from EVM layer twos, the terminology might have to change a little bit. And I, I have some thoughts on that later. But uh, but in general, I would describe this as this is an optimistic rollup that uses some zero knowledge technology or uses some zero knowledge mm -hmm. proof in the optimistic settlement. So that's that's what the rollup is as it exists today. And moving forward, there's a route where we can actually become a full zero knowledge rollup. An optimistic rollup because there is some sort of fraud proof window. Right. And you're, you're not using kind of like ZK to do sort of all of the, uh, you know, all of the, uh, that side of things. There's a, there's yeah, we don't prove of... every single transaction. Got it. Okay. Okay. So we have, uh, so this is a layer two, uh, an Eclipse node and contains an Ethereum node, which is the bridge. Uh, Ethereum enforces correct ordering for Eclipse by proxy of all of this. That mean this means that like the assets on Ethereum, the liquidity on Ethereum have a direct and open pipe into the Eclipse ecosystem. It, does, does this mean that Eclipse gets Ethereum for security, or is that the fraud proofs element of this? So security can be thought of as safety of liveness. Mm -hmm. So the fault proofs are basically providing execution safety. So if something gets executed incorrectly then the fraud proof will prevent that from being settled to the bridge. And users should really look to that bridge if they're figuring out what's the last correct state of this chain. That's that's the truth. And, and that's the canonical chain. Whereas so there is, the full note, yeah. There is like this Sorry, trustless bridge type concept then. Uh, yes, that, that's the critical parts. part of the protocol. Yeah, yeah. And of course, like the main pull for being on Ethereum in the first place is I'm, I'm assuming just it's the most secure decentralized chain with all of the liquidity and all of the assets. Like that's the, the simple cases or anything else to add to this. I think that's exactly what you'd want for settlement. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. I, I feel like that checks the Ethereum box relatively quickly, unless you have anything to add, Ryan. No, I'm just, uh, it's fascinating to me, this decision. I'll just make a comment yeah. to use um, ETH for kind of gas rather than a, a native token. And uh, we, we might come back to that, but of mm -hmm. course I'd imagine um, you have to, like Eclipse has to pay taxes denominated in Ether, right? You guys are at the end of the day buying some block space from Ethereum. So that element certainly makes sense. Uh, yeah, and I'll just comment, that's a interesting uh, design decision and certainly um, you know, one that is commendable, uh, I think in many ways. So I think the the this part in the conversation I think is that really relatively easy to people for people to wrap their heads around. Take the Solana virtual machine, put it inside of a layer two, settle on Ethereum. But we got some extra curveballs. Um, Celestia for data availability. So now we're bringing in the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, so why not Ethereum for data availability? Uh, why not now? And then also why not Ethereum for data availability? Even considering post four eight four four proto dank sharding. Like what's the thought process behind Celestia for data availability? So Celestia, when it goes mainnet, will be the most advanced, scalable block space that exists right now for making transactions available. So that was the, and, and the reason for that is, one, if, if you just look at the amount of uh, bandwidth available on Ethereum, you can pretty much upper bound the amount of transactions that can be posted by like a few hundred transactions right now. Uh, and then of course, D, the thing that I don't want to ever like bet against research. So that, that's why I don't want to write off saying like, oh, we could never use Ethereum for DA because, you know, research happens in like this exponential way. Uh, but but as it exists, uh, it's, it's just a little bit too constrained. And that's exactly what Celestia has been solving for. And Mustafa actually wrote the original data availability sampling white paper, uh, and he co-authored that with Vitalik. And what, what they're basically doing is as a user, you can verify yourself whether a block is being withheld. And the more users are doing that, the more block space Celestia can provide. So that's mm -hmm. their path to winning, which is that there's this critical network effect around the more people that are using Celestia, the more secure it becomes and the more scalable it becomes. Uh, and, and for that reason, Celestia might just always be ahead of whoever's the next best in DA. Mm -hmm. So even with 
proto dank sharding 4844 and then even with full dank sharding given the fact that celestia achieves some sort of critical mass of adoption there's a world where celestia can even outpace full dank sharding because full dank sharding has a lot of scale um but what you're saying is like where well, jury is still out as to the race between celestia versus full dank sharding as who can provide the best bandwidth exactly like one of celestia's biggest advantages right now is that they're about to be live and, and no one else is there right now okay is there a trade-off in your mind, Neil, about, you know, on kind of security here? So um, in this entire episode, we've we've called what Eclipse is doing a layer two, notably, rather than a roll-up. And this is because there's some recognition, I think, in kind of the, the Ethereum community in general that, hey, in order to be called an Ethereum roll-up, you actually have to do not only your settlement consensus on Ethereum, but also the data availability layer, right? The DA on Ethereum as well. And so... That's like, you know, Dankrad uh, posted this and, you know, I, I think it's certainly this idea has some merit. Uh, and the idea there is um, in order to be, be given the title of an Ethereum rollup, then you, you got to be doing every all of both of those layers on Ethereum. And so the 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 notion that this is, uh, you know, it comes with increased security is, is certainly present there. Do you, do you see that as a trade off or is that not something that you are? Uh, worried about for Eclipse or is Eclipse just optimizing, you know, somewhere else on the, on the trade-off landscape? So it is technically a trade-off. Uh, I, I will say that we're doing everything we can on Ethereum just to start, but the trade-off is back to those properties of safety and liveness. So in order to create a fault, a fault proof, you of course need to have access to those transactions. You need to run them all yourself. You need to identify which one was invalid. And in order to do that, uh, you have to look at whatever layer one those transactions were posted to. So if they were posted to Ethereum, then you haven't really added any additional trust assumptions that Ethereum is behaving correctly. But if you post to Celestia, theoretically, the Celestia validators could collude. They could they could sign off and say, yeah, we, we got the block, but then they just don't give it to. Mm -hmm. So to me, that threat is unrealistic in practice. We could have like theoretically made this into a validium or something like that, where we post the blocks to some centralized DA or some DAC or something. Uh, and that, I would say, is a very different point uh, in the security spectrum, because the DAC really could collude. That's not that many entities that would be required to say we're going to withhold the block, whereas a full L1 blockchain with slashing, uh, that, that's a little bit harder to, to imagine. And let's talk about the other side of this equation. So the benefit of this and how you've laid this out is how cheap are transactions going to be on Eclipse? So it's hard to say for sure, because DA is always a fee market. So because Celestia is not live, we need to see where that fee market lands. But based on our projections, it's going to be comparable to Solana. Comparable, Solana. okay. And and how what, what are Solana transactions going for these days, guys? It's like a hundred zeros. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the economics that um, are created as a result of this choice. So settlement and liquidity come from Ethereum, Ether as gas. There, there are economic tailwinds behind Ether. There, Celestia for data availability. Uh, instead of using Ethereum for data availability. So Celestia is capturing some of Ethereum's uh, value capture, if you will. How, how can we think about uh, who is splitting the pie here between Ethereum and Celestia when you choose to use Celestia for data availability? So I think it's the difference between moneyness and quote unquote uh, value flow. So if you look at the cost of a transaction, the majority of it typically does go to DA uh, in the case of no congestion. If there's congestion, then a lot of it will go to the execution layer. Uh, similar, that's what causes the fee spikes that I was referring to on Arbitrum with their global fee markets. So, so that value, of course, goes to Celestia. Of course, the cost of operating Celestia is much higher. So, as far as what's the validated profit, it might end up being like even close to zero uh, after you've accounted for all the costs of their bandwidth. But uh, given that Ether is used for uh, gas, then we're all like transacting things in Ether, we're denominating our NFTs in Ether. I, I think that's probably the bigger piece of value accrual for a token, in my opinion. Uh, so that's that's how I uh, how I think about it, and then of course there's the critical dependence on Ethereum uh, for security. So just given the fact that we're just posting to Ethereum periodically with the state root, well, it's not really a state root, but with commitments, uh, that's uh, that, that's a that's one fourth source of value flow onto Ethereum. Okay, so po you're posting data to Ethereum. It's not a blob in 484. It's just it's kind of is is it call data? It's in the call data field. Uh, so the data that we post to Ethereum is uh, that state root is actually written to a smart contract. Okay. It's, yeah, I keep saying state root because that's right. how what it is for an Ethereum roll for an EVM rollup. But because there is no global Merkle tree for our rollup, uh, it's mm -hmm. it's not quite that. Instead, it's like a commitment to what the output of the transactions are. Okay. So previously, when we think about these things in um, 
what we will call normal rollup land, like optimistic rollups, layer uh, optimism arbitrum. They we we talk we the the meme that Ryan and I say is that layer twos buy Ethereum block space. Um, but that's less true with Eclipse because you're buying Celestia block space for data availability. Um, but you're still buying some block space because you're doing something. You're updating the yes. state of uh, a smart contract, the the Eclipse smart contract on the Ethereum layer one. Like I, I know like rough numbers are always hard to ask for, but how do you like, how much gas is that? <laughs> Basically, how much are you paying Ethereum is the question I'm trying to get at. Yeah, well, one other like critical place where we're paying gas is for all the bridging. Anytime mm -hmm. someone puts money into Eclipse or takes it out, uh, it's like a hash time lock contract the way it's written right now. Mm -hmm. So that that costs money. There, anytime, I mean, that's true for any asset. Right. Uh, if you want to do forced inclusion, so it's hard to ask. I mean, that depends on what's the gas price for Ethereum and right. what, what's the price of getting a block space. So it's hard to estimate that. But I'd compared but, to uh, compared to like an optimistic rollup today, that's you know I don't know. Last I looked at this, all of the rollups um, in general were like uh, consuming two hundred to five hundred ETH per day or something like this. Um, uh, for there's going to be a fraction of that. Yeah, yeah mostly. So if you look at it like optimism, like OP stack, if you, I, I think it's worth separating the DA cost and the settlement cost. Mm -hmm. And the DA cost is is the vast majority of that of right. that two hundred ETH you were mentioning. Uh, and then settlement is yeah maybe like one tenth of that if, if even it's, it's settlement's actually a small fraction of it in terms of just raw cost. But I I don't know if that's even what's valuable for the I mean I, I don't want to ever say like price of anything, but I I think the reason why ether is so valuable is because we use it to pay for so many things, and that that's the that's the fundamental benefit of it. It's gonna play a critical role in our ecosystem. Yeah, one of the models that we say for the layer two um, for. Um, 4844 for uh, proto dank sharding and full dank sharding is that Ether is making Ethereum is making a trade off with its own layer twos where it is extracting less rent from them by producing extremely cheap data availability for these layer twos. Uh, so it doesn't have to consume that much gas to post blobs. Um, and it, the trade off is that while it doesn't charge much to be a roll up post 4844, it gets to be money in all of these networks. And so I guess extending that logic. Um, Celestia gets to capture the value flows. Who is what you're saying? That's why you said flows, I'm assuming. If Celestia gets to capture the value flows, the bulk of the buying of the block space. But Ethereum, Ether still gets to be retained as like the money of um, of uh, Eclipse. Am I, am I on track here? I think that's the right way to think about it. Yeah. What's okay. fascinating about this conversation is because I feel like we've been trying to um, describe the um, the animal that Noah has just <laughs> brought on the the ark uh, over the last like you know fifteen twenty minutes and how long we've been talking. What's so fascinating about this, and I love it by the way, is because I think this is going to break crypto Twitter's brains. Because do you know how we're all always so divided in terms of tribes, right? Yeah. And here's Neil uh, saying, "I've got this um, <laughs> this layer two called Eclipse, and by the way, ETH is money." Solana has the best virtual machine. Celestia is the best data availability layer. And by the way, it's not an optimistic rollup or a ZK rollup. It's something in the middle, right? You're just gonna like, I don't know if everyone's gonna love you or you're just gonna piss everyone off, but I know you're gonna confuse a lot of people with, with this approach. And uh, it makes me so happy, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited about it too. And it's gonna force people to also think a little bit more about like what are the security assumptions? What are they? What do they actually like about each blockchain? Uh, and I think that's a really good reevaluation, especially in the rollup landscape. There just hasn't been enough innovation, in my view. Like all the EVM rollups kind of look the same, and I'm glad to push the frontier on that. Can we ask yes. this last piece? So, um, risk zero yep. is um, being used for fraud proofs, I believe. And our first exposure to risk zero was just a couple of weeks ago, and this may be an indication of how fast the space is moving. So. I only just learned about your project yesterday, Neil, and uh, you know that's how much is going on at you know at the moment, which is a, a very exciting time for building in, in crypto. But um, what is Risk Zero doing for uh, Eclipse? How is it helping you? Yeah, so to take a step back, Risk Zero is a very ambitious zk VM, and in general, zk VMs have been very constrained. It's like they just want to prove some bespoke program. They want to approve a virtual machine that's restricted to crypto, like the EVM. But Risk Zero took an ordinary virtual machine, or which is Risk Five, and they're ZK proving any Risk Five program. And what's cool about that is that Risk Five has been around before blockchains, but there's also that there's so much stuff written for Risk Five. So now you can just take these existing Rust programs or whatever you want, compile it to Risk Five, which almost everything does, and run it there. 
So what's weird is that the Solana virtual machine doesn't use RISC-V bytecode. But what we've effectively done is we take a BPF bytecode, which is a Solana VM bytecode. We output RISC-V bytecode. We prove that compilation. And then we execute it within RISC-0. And, and this way we can prove that the execution of a transaction was done correctly. And we can say, these are the outputs. And here's a little small piece of proof to show that it was actually correct. Uh, and, and that's what we, we use RISC-0 for. So the reason why it's relevant for fault proofs is that if you want to say that something is fraudulent, rather than re-executing that transaction on Ethereum, which should be very difficult given that um, the, the SVM uses pre-compiles and stuff that doesn't exist in, in Ethereum, uh, instead we just generate the ZK proof and we just pass it to Ethereum. We just say, here's the, all the proof you need that it was executed incorrectly. And notably, uh, one of the most the popular um optimistic rollups on Ethereum, Arbitrum just got their fraud proofs, Optimism still TBD, which means base still TBD. Uh, and then in comes Eclipse with like, oh yeah, we've got like this super ambitious uh, ZK fraud proofs. Here we go. We're already, we're already ready for them. And yeah, it's live. It's kind of nuts. Uh, Surprising. Yeah. And I think maybe like Ryan talked about uh, all these different tribes that are now confused here. I think that if there's one thing that is definitely the absolute winner here, if assuming that you know Eclipse is uh, achieves its division that it wants to achieve, is the modular thesis, uh, which actually doesn't isn't any one tribe. Uh, there are many a uh, handful of tribes that are all modular. Like Ethereum is a modular network. Celestia is a part of the Cosmos modular ecosystem, and it's providing a module of data availability. So no one tribe works, but the idea of modularity, I think, is unlike categorically taking the dub here. Would you agree with that, Neil? Definitely. Yeah, this is a very modular maxi type, uh, if that sentence even makes sense, given that modularism <laughs> isn't really like a maximalist. It's almost oxymoronic. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I uh, I actually I recently read uh, Anatoly uh, of Solana being described as a single shard maximalist, which yeah. is the first time I, I've heard this. So so maybe there's a counter to the modular maximalist. Well, they just, yeah, they they just really, really want to rebrand notion. away from monolithic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, calling it integrated now. They, they have the no sharding podcast. Actually, someone on my team wrote a really good response, Sydney, uh, against the whole integrated blockchains piece. Yeah. And there's all sorts, sorts of things that you can basically only achieve in the roll-up world. So yes. that that was the premise of it. Yeah, sovereignty being the big one. Yeah, that was, that was a great piece. I didn't know she was on, on your team. Um, okay, so there are a few more things that we want to talk about. Uh, this is not just a layer two. This is not just a single network, but Eclipse also is coming with its framework. So just like the OP stack or Arbitrum Orbit or the ZK stack, Eclipse has a framework that is bringing to the table, which means there can be multiple Eclipse chains. But a question that comes to mind is like, well, I thought if we're using the Solana virtual machine, I thought we just needed one execution environment. So I want to uh, ask you about that. And then also there's a rollup as a service component of Eclipse, the company. And so that is another vertical that I want to talk about. And then I want to get to ultimately, Neil, the, the big question of who wins here? Who wins? We have four different projects in various loose competition, cooperation with each other. I think everyone kind of wants to know the punchline of like, all right, who, even though we are definitely growing the pie, somebody's taking a larger piece. Uh, and so I want to unpack that conversation as well. But first, I'm going to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. MetaMask Portfolio is your one-stop shop to manage your crypto assets and to tap into DeFi all in one place. And the most important part of that experience, buying crypto, obviously. MetaMask Portfolio's buy feature enables you to purchase crypto easily without going through centralized exchanges. Designed with you in mind, you can fund your wallet directly in just a few clicks with convenience and simplicity. What happens when you press the buy button? Rather than being limited to a single payment provider, MetaMask brings together a bunch of vetted, trustworthy providers to present you with customized quotes for your crypto purchase. Once you've funded your wallet, you'll be able to plug into DeFi with all the money verbs like swapping, bridging, and staking. But first things first, you need skin in the game. Head over to metamask.io slash portfolio to buy crypto the easy way. Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Celo Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Celo's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Celo Layer 2 on the Celo Forum. So has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real 
real-world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real-world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC-20 tokens. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. You know Uniswap, it's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. And we're back. And now we're going to open up the topic of the Eclipse Super Chain. Should I call it Super Chain, Neil? Or is there a different word that you have for this? I almost feel like it's an anti-Super Chain. Because Super Chains imply many chains that are all being connected. Whereas I feel like it should all be on this one chain. So Okay, so the Eclipse yeah, mainnet yeah. that launched today... Is is the chain that you're saying, well, we don't need more of these things, just use this one. Yeah, there are cases where it makes sense to have your own chain and it comes down to things like ownership, if you want to be able to fork and upgrade it at, at your free will. But in general, most applications I feel pretty much belong on a shared chain. And th that just arose from the fact that we've deployed a lot of app-specific chains. We actually got to see those unit economics firsthand. We're, we were the ones paying the cost. And, and we were just like, this doesn't seem to make sense given the value of the transactions that are being run on the chain. So I'm confused here. So is uh, Eclipse going to be just one chain or like a network? So it's a framework. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's our the Eclipse team is only going to own this one chain as of now. Okay. Uh, but we do have a roll up framework that anyone can deploy. You can deploy your own instance of it, uh, and it's built in such a way that it's easy to do that and even swap out the modules. And we've actually dog fooded it with a few folks as well. Why so, would you build example, a framework then? If, if yeah, like... so. It's because we didn't anticipate that it would be so scalable. We thought that it was going to be like a hundred chains or something initially, or thousands of chains. And and honestly, just through our experience, we realized that it wasn't needed, and it also just wasn't practical. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the idea here is that there's the eclipse, the eclipse maxi take. Maybe that we're going to get some eclipse tribes now. Is that uh, there will be like ninety five plus of economic activity on the eclipse networks on this one dominant mainnet chain. And then there will be a splattering of app-specific Eclipse chains that just want to have their own home base, not unlike the um, uh, MakerDAO-Rune conversation that got started not too right. long ago about MakerDAO forking Solana to have its own app-specific chain, things oh, like Oh, they could this. just use this. Rune could just use this framework. Well, I think Rune and, and I think they wanted to make their own layer one specifically, but for people that don't want to go that far, and still want to have some tie to Ethereum, yet still use a Solana code base, they could use Eclipse. Is this right, Neil? So we are chatting with Maker, to be fair. And then there's, a, there's a way to get that, but, but we don't have any, uh, you know, Rune, I'm sure, already has a pretty thought through vision of what he wants to do. Uh, but but yeah, that I, I think that's, that's the right way to thinking about it. And in my opinion, it's just that there aren't that many whales that could justify their own chain. I think Base is a great example of a chain that makes sense. Base absolutely should have a chain, and we can see the results of that. They've generated millions in revenue already. Uh, they haven't even been live for that long. But how many Coinbases really exist in the world? Right, right, yeah. Okay. So you think there'll be a small number of um, layer twos then? Not uh, you know hundreds of thousands of of rollups out there and layer twos out there. I think we need more scalable rollups. And if we have scalable rollups, then we don't need thousands or at one time I saw someone say we're gonna have millions of rollups. I was like, this is getting truly out of hand. <laughs> that might that might have been me. I might have said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one reason why I don't like it is just aesthetic reasons. I just think it looks very ugly to have a bunch of these like tiny little chains. And then, and then you have to have shared sequencers and you have to like prove the bridging, the liquidity is everywhere, you have dust on every chain. Someone uh, posted a tweet of their MetaMask wallet. 
and it was like 40 chains and they're like can metamask please have a way for me to search chains I'm like this <laughs> just shouldn't be an issue it seems like an anti-pattern and, and just just to be clear on what's shipped today so what's shipped today uh on mainnet because you mentioned it celestia isn't even on mainnet so obviously yeah. you're not doing the da with celestia right now so what's shipped today on uh, eclipse and what can people go do so right now it's so right now what's live is actually the test set and the main okay. an architecture is announced. Okay. So that's going to be shipping later this yeah exactly. Got it. So testnet now and then when is when mainnet? <laughs> when mainnet? Um I I don't want to um say it publicly yet. So it's uh but you can yeah we'll, Week, we'll weeks not months kind of thing. Uh, it's on the order of yeah it's on the order of weeks yeah. Okay. So we flubbed up the intro sorry for bankless listeners that feel wrecked by that. Um Almost a hold your breath amount of time. Uh, okay, so Neil, I want to get to the uh, who really wins here conversation. Four different protocols all have components of their protocols being used, but not no one protocol has all of the protocol being used. So how do you, how do you think about like the winner and losers of of these of these systems? So I think the most obvious benefit is to Ethereum, right? Given that Ether is being used to denominate everything, and it's being used for critical security properties. I think value flow to Celestia is a pretty big win, especially given they're about to be mainnet. So having a big roll up on there and having some value flowing in is going to be really valuable for them. Solana is the one that's really tricky because there are indirect benefits to broader VM adoption. That's true. There's also risks that are incurred because of course projects can move from Solana to the roll up. Uh, you might have folks that um, that maybe they would have been forced to use Solana before. Now they can bridge to this via this trust minimized bridge and stay on Ethereum and use get a lot of the benefits. So that's that's definitely a, a question mark. Uh, they have that you know that like those like BCG growth share matrixes. There's like a question mark. Where it's like we don't know how this is going to turn out. I think that's where I'd probably put my answer um, for for this kind of thing. One difference between Eclipse and um, Solana is that Solana is is further down on the decentralization scale um and it, layer twos famously don't have to be decentralized in order to actually fulfill some of their vision that's one of the reasons why layer twos are layer twos is because of fraud proofs or is or trustless bridging etc um you actually can be have your the operators of a chain be centralized because you are checked by ethereum so how does this dynamic between eclipse and solana change the game here because i, I would imagine eclipse in terms of uh, hardware nodes running the system, there's much, much fewer of them than than with Solana. How does that change the the, the numbers and economics and game here? Yeah, that's right. There's thousands of validators for the Solana network. And mm -hmm. so while while I don't want to commit to like specific numbers in terms of like what's the resulting dollar amount, you get the it is correct is that the fixed cost of Eclipse is four thousand times cheaper than Solana as an L1 because there's there's only one you don't need four thousand validators. So uh, that that's true, and I I also hate like when people talk about rollups and decentralizing their sequencer because uh, not it's not that it's, that sounds like a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's not an important conversation because what they should be talking about is what are the security properties right. today, uh, and that's much more important. And if you get all the same security properties, it doesn't matter if there's a component that's centralized. I will say that like three uh, sequencers, like a handful of sequencers can make a ton of sense. But when people say decentralizing the sequencer, they're talking about like, yo, spread that all around the globe, like smear that ice cream all over that, or uh, cream cheese all over that that bread. That's the weirdest <laughs> metaphor I've ever used. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I we like only need cream. like a, a oh, small a number of sequencers to preserve uptime and liveness and still retain like the vast majority of uh, execution um, and, and costs, right? And latency yeah exactly and the really the, the only impact is to liveness because let's the risk is what if the sequencer just refuses to include your transaction mm -hmm. but what's good about rollups is that's exactly what the canonical bridge prevents which is you can submit the transaction there directly doesn't matter if someone wants to censor you so and, and the downside there is that of course if you submit to ethereum directly it's going to be much more expensive so there's there's like a cost imposed on uh, on live on short-term liveness Okay, so I I, I want to make a you know a statement here, and um, the Solana tribe might might sort of hate this, but so so I'm just absorbing this right now, and I kind of feel like this is good for the SVM as a technology. So the SVM you know, takes there. a huge dub. Yeah, this is a win for the SVM, and again, we're you know contingent on Eclipse being successful and all of these yes. things, right? But yes. we 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 know you're you're going to be doing uh, major things, and this is going to be a very successful layer two. That's the contingency. A win for the SVM 
but a loss for Solana. So everything that a, you a were... loss for Sol, where Solana is for me kind of like Sol plus the SVM. That's not what Solana Sol token holders care about, dude. They care about the same thing that ETH to token holders do, which is like they want to propagate, they want their investment, they want Sol number to go up. So sure, Solana as a concept has won just in the same way that you know modular has won but can i invest in modular coin do you know what i mean like right. it, it seems to be a because what you're just what you guys were just talking about which is like this decentralization that solana has versus eclipse and they do have a much wider val validator set and they're much more decentralized than eclipse and of course that's because eclipse has outsourced its decentralization settlement consensus layer to ethereum right and it doesn't have to pay those costs so what you know what one kind of group is is holding up as sort of this is an attribute we're a bit more decentralized that's like a millstone because that's a massive cost of running the infrastructure right and this is this is why maybe your statement neil of a you know modular uh, centric um maximalist is is kind of coming true this is what the modular bulls have sort of predicted yep. is that the economics of running an execution layer uh, as a layer two on top of something like Ethereum, far outstrip and far out, outpace what you can do uh, independently as an alternative kind of layer one execution layer. So it's it's really, I, I do very much see uh, all of the different rollups and all of the different layer twos and Eclipse uh, included, it's execution layer against execution layer. That's mm -hmm. re really where the competition is in, in, in that world. And so my conclusion is that this is actually a win for the SVM but potentially a loss for soul tokens and for Solana. And I know the Solana community may not like hearing that, but um, wow, that I, I don't know how else you interpret this. Can someone give me the counter to that? Or maybe not on this call. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a follow-up episode. Yeah. There's no question there. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Just making sure I was gonna get, I wasn't <laughs> sure if I should give commentary on that <laughs> on the record. Do you want to give commentary on that? Have I said anything <laughs> I, that's I incorrect? About it, I think that, well, I don't try to predict token price. That's the thing. In general, I don't even look at prices. I have like a ton of crypto. And I, I don't it's not, it's not about price. It's about value capture. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, of course, like there isn't really any activity from this chain on, that translates to the Solana L1, right? It's like if you run a transaction on Eclipse, nothing happens on Solana as a result. So that, that part, I think, goes without saying. Uh, but... Yeah, it depends on whatever whether it's good or bad is the same as whether MakerDAO's proposal is good or bad for Solana. I think, uh, meaning that MakerDAO is also proposing a separate chain, and the Solana community seem to like that. Right. So I think, it, well, how are they received? That should probably be how they treat Eclipse, is what I think. Do you think that's going to happen? Look, you think they're the, going to receive you with open arms here? The crypto tribes would love to reinterpret any news as positive for them. That's <laughs> part of the game. That's part of the arena of crypto Twitter. Yeah, to be fair, Tolly is an angel investor in Eclipse. So he's very like grow the pie, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in his in his thinking. Neil, is there a BD person at Eclipse or are you guys all engineers right now? We have our chief business officer, VJ, uh, who is head of BD at Uniswap. Uh, he was head of BD at DYDX. He has some great plans for bringing liquidity to Eclipse. And we're going to be supporting DeFi protocols in a pretty big way. So that's going to be a big emphasis for this chain. So isn't one of like the biggest ways that Eclipse wins is to convince Solana apps and apps and consumers to migrate to Eclipse? I think there's a lot of reason for them to try out Eclipse. Uh, the, similar to that point about EVM compatibility, like that go-to-market tactic, I think it's a little bit, I think it's a good initial tailwind, but in the long run, I really want to see new apps on Eclipse. Just like true innovation on uh, on the Ethereum side especially in decentralized physical infrastructure networks. I used to be a quant at Citadel in the commodities group. So I, I do a, a ton of physical stuff. And in particular, like all these energy related projects, I think are really interesting. So I talk with those guys all the time. What's fascinating to me about this project too, is um, uh, a lot of people have said, oh, this, this Solana should just become a layer two on Ethereum, right? This, and is, this is that. <laughs> it's, been, it's been very clear that uh, Solana is not going down that path, or at least not right now, not entertaining it. I mean, that that seems pretty clear. And so they're not doing that. Therefore, someone else is like the white space will be filled by a market competitor, right? This is very Darwinistic, you know, evolutionary type social pressures where the space and the gap will be filled and you're doing that exact play. Now you have to start with a blank slate where you have no kind of network state, no apps, and you're building from the ground up, but it's basically that play.
you're executing Solana as a, a layer two on top of Ethereum, and you're watching that experiment play out. And that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that's true with markets in a really weird way, especially in crypto, where Eigenlayer is another good example of that, where people are like, I want to do more stuff with my ETH that isn't necessarily enforceable on chain. And I don't want to change the Ethereum core code. So that Eigenlayer pops up, like you can restake your ETH and we can have additional slashing conditions. I think that kind of like void filling happens in, in the Ethereum landscape more than anywhere else. So no token uh planned or like what what ever um using eth yeah. for gas like what's the story here yeah, as of now the eclipse mainnet has no token doing this all without a token and of course i, I guess costs are low right you don't have validators to pay uh, in the form of token issuance because you're just paying a little bit for celestia block space and uh, ethereum block space then um, yeah that's what's cool it's like a small business in the sense that like it's a small, like a, maybe I phrase that weirdly, but in the sense that it's just like profitable from day one. Every transaction pays for itself. Unlike a layer one, where they typically have to inflate the hell out of their token, that's just not how rollups work. So it's a big advantage. <laughs> I feel like now we're at a different um, stage of the cycle than we yeah. were in 2021 and 2022, which is now we have real cheap uh, block space and it is plentiful. We have This is our high bandwidth moment. And so maybe uh, you know, a question for you of like, all right, so who's going to buy all this block space <laughs> that we've now produced? I mean, where are the apps? What are they going to be? Is there anything that you see there? Or um, is this going to take some like months and years to really uh, you know, play out to build out these ecosystems? I think definitely on the order of months. I think on day one, uh, it'll be stuff that we've already seen in crypto, just given that new apps need that. It's like a chicken egg problem where until that highly scalable infrastructure existed, I don't think there was any way for someone to build like truly game-changing apps in the EVM world up, up until now. Like I think Frantech was has been highly constrained by, by the fact that the fees are actually getting quite high now. There, there's a lot of reasons why, even the fact that it's, and I mean, I can I can talk about like more details on it, but I, I think even like the AMM construction, for example, is kind of an artifact of a low throughput blockchain. Because if, if you truly had things your way, you'd probably start by trying to build an order book and people did try on Ethereum, it just never worked. So um, so yeah, I, I think that this is going to enable a lot of new stuff that people can can start experimenting with. Neil, you said earlier, um, and you know, maybe we'll come full circle. This Eclipse in your mind isn't quite a layer two, isn't quite a roll up. You had some ideas on uh, you know the be the best term or the best best way to describe this. So how would you describe it? What kind of term should we use for this new platypus type of creature that has just emerged? So basically, I want to rename terms where I think if the word roll up maybe should even be eliminated. But that, I know that that's too confusing and people have been using it for a while. But it's because it's too broad of a category. Like people call everything a roll up. And L2 should maybe even be reserved to in, in line with uh, what Donkrod was saying, just something that is maximally using Ethereum for like everything it can. So ideally, it's using Ethereum for DA, has its bridge there, ETH for gas. That's an ETH L2. And then everything else, like for example, if you put your... Um, your DA off chain and you're using a ZK proof for the entire transaction chain, then that's a validium. If you're using a off chain DA for like, basically I want to like give new terms to each specific uh, construction, but, but that might just be overly confusing for your average layperson. So I, I haven't come up with a term for what Eclipse should be called per se, but, but I do have like some issues with existing terminology. And I feel like it's so much easier to be a critic. So that's why I have uh, issues with existing terminology, but I, I don't want to um, commit. So to I would term. call you guys an Ethereum layer two validium uh, with the SVM as its execution. That seems reasonable. I think that that's like a it's it's like it captures all the important properties. Yeah, it's also but, a mouthful. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, 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 that yeah, that's not a you know that's not memeable. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it Eclipse for now. All right, well, that's cool. Um, Neil, I have learned a lot. Uh, this is very, very exciting. Oh, can you give us like kind of the short-term roadmap? I know um, mainnet launch date, uh, weeks or months, maybe something like this. Um, but also what else is on the horizon that people might be excited about? Yeah, so mainnet on the order of weeks. Uh, this upcoming quarter, uh, we're going to bring, IB so this is uh, early next year, we're bringing IBC compatibility. So this is actually something that Solana Foundation gave us a grant for. Hmm. So uh, we're just like wrapping up and productionizing that work. And what that'll mean is that all these Cosmos chains who historically wanted to get access to the Solana ecosystem. And actually, what's 
what's weird about a class, and maybe this is just like a fact about wallops in general, is the bridging is the most important part. So historically, Solana just hasn't had very good bridges, such as Layer Zero, they announced their testnet deployment on Solana, but the main net deployment has been repeatedly delayed. And that's because the execution model of Solana has all these small little details. But, but basically, um, what I'm saying is that we're going to be interoperable with all with more chains. That's that's something that's coming up on the horizon. And the Solana Foundation gave you a grant to do this. Yeah, for the IBC work. Yep. Well, interesting. Like full credit to Anatoly, yeah. who's maybe an investor here, and also this the Solana Foundation for funding a grant because this is really has the potential, you know, to maybe cannibalize some of what they're doing. And it looks like they're they're forging into that. So I, I certainly have to respect that. Um, you know, as stated, Anatoly and others have always said, "Hey, I'm we're just trying to propagate uh, the SVM and this open source technology." And so um, some points there for uh, for Solana maybe at the end if we we still have any. Uh, Solana listeners left at the end of this conversation. Um, Neil, last question for you, at least from me, and maybe David's got something too. Um, we didn't open with this, and we usually do, but I, I kind of feel compelled to ask it uh, at the end. How did you get into crypto? This project just like magically appeared yeah. on my radar kind of this week. And I don't know very much about, um, you know, now I know a lot more after doing this episode, but I don't know anything about you. So, so tell us about yourself. It's a bunch of facts that I try to hide, but I was working in Trad5. So I was working at Citadel. Uh, and then around the time, I think March of last year, I left. I was briefly building an EVM for Cosmos. That was actually my first thing that I was building in crypto. And then Terra famously depegged, and all the TVL just like flowed out of Cosmos. And, and then I was like, wow, like that seemed to be like the thing that was holding, like kind of propping Cosmos up to some degree at that time. So I had to reevaluate that project. I ended up scrapping it. Uh, and then I just spent a lot of time thinking about the economics of L1s versus roll-ups. And the Celestia team reached out and they got me completely roll-up pilled. I was chatting with some researchers in the Ethereum world. Uh, and and yeah, then that initial idea was just, all right, now I want to make Solana into an Ethereum roll-up. And just ran into all the issues that uh, the, that I I think most people probably wouldn't anticipate from first principles. But but that's uh, that's effectively what happened. Well, thanks, Neil. What a story. Oh, yeah, man. that's a great story. Yeah, I guess we'll close it at that. We we appreciate time. Looking forward to uh, what you're building here. And thank you for introducing us to the Eclipse uh, Platypus today. It's an exciting new world of uh, new chains that we can construct here. And uh, that I like what you're doing here. Thank you so much for having me. Gotta end with some disclosures, of course. We are long-term investors, not journalists. We don't do paid content. There's a link to all bankless disclosures in the show notes. Neither David nor myself are invested in this project. Of course, we are bullish generally on layer twos and ether the asset. Gotta let you know, crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Extra thanks to Kraken, our preferred exchange for crypto in 2023. Whether you're dollar cost averaging into crypto to prepare for the bull market, or you're taking profits out of crypto, be sure to do it with Kraken. The newly designed Kraken Pro makes it super easy to do both your basic financial transactions while also taking your trading to the next level. Kraken Pro is truly the trading UX that you've always wanted. So if your bull market archetype is the trader class, you need Kraken Pro in your toolkit. But if your character class is more of a DeFi journeyman or woman, then MetaMask Portfolio is the tool for you. MetaMask Portfolio is your DeFi multi-chain battle station. Any asset on any Ethereum layer 2, MetaMask Portfolio will present it to you. So don't get caught forgetting assets or missing opportunities. Make sure you're prepared for the bull run by prepping your MetaMask Portfolio. Moving on from tools you need to playing fields to play on, the Arbitrum layer 2 is one of the main arenas in which this bull market will be fought on. Whether your character class is a DeFi degen, airdrop hunter, or yield seeker, the Arbitrum Coliseum is where a ton of the action is going to be. So whether you're on Arbitrum 1 for DeFi and NFTs or Arbitrum Nova for Web3 Gaming or a new frontier on Arbitrum using an Arbitrum Orbit chain, there are so many opportunities to sink your teeth into. But as we know, the Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap produces all kinds of layer twos and Mantle is one of the newest layer twos on the scene with some of the newest technology that Ethereum layer twos has to offer in the year 2023. Mantle is built using the OP stack but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum layer one, reducing gas fees by 80% compared to other layer twos. With billions of dollars 
$1,000 standing by from BitDAO to invest in Mantle, make sure you stay ahead of the game by building and growing your on-chain footprint on Mantle. Let's not forget about the ETH staking character class and Stater makes it easy. Running a staking pool with Stater just requires four Ether for a deposit, letting you charge a fee to the remaining 28 Ether that uses your node to stake their ETH, increasing your yield by 35%. Stater's staked Ether token, ETHX, allows you to stake your Ether and use it in DeFi at the same time. For all you DeFi swappers out there, this one is for you. Uniswap X has opened up a brand new landscape to play in, and it's the world of intents. This is where those who employ the swapping ability get to team up with the evil MEV bot army, and they get to band together to discover the most efficient liquidity route through the Ethereum landscape. Gas-free swaps, MEV protection, and theoretically optimal pricing. When swappers and MEVers come together, new metas happen, and it's thanks to Uniswap X. So the next time you trade on Uniswap, consider clicking the Uniswap X button to get your MEV protection. Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Celo Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Celo's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared its excitement for the Celo Layer 2 on the Celo Forum, so has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages, like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real-world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real-world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low, and you can even pay for gas using ERC-20 tokens. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo Forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. So thank you to all the sponsors that support Bankless and all the podcast editors, newsletter writers, and operations managers who make the Bankless organization the best that we can be. We truly appreciate your support. And for all the listeners out there who listen to the mountains of content that we churn out each week, especially this one right here. So let's go on.